This is Jenny Allen, and you are listening to the Made for This podcast. Hey guys, Chloe here. Before this episode begins, I just wanted to give you guys a warning to anyone who might have little ears listening with them. This episode deals with heavy topics like grief and suicide. We pray that this conversation leads to healing and helps inspire new ways that we can love others through deep valleys. If you're thinking about suicide, are worried about a friend or loved one, or would like emotional support, the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline Network is available 24-7 across the United States by dialing 988 or by chat at 988lifeline.org slash chat. We're talking about the threads of suffering and how God redeems the darkest parts of our life for good. And I'm joined by Kayla Steckline. Thanks for joining me, Kayla. Thanks for having me. It's such an honor to be here. I'm just so grateful to be talking about this today. Let's just start with your story. I actually observed her story on social media, like a lot of things we see. I was blown away back then. So talk a little bit in case people did not follow your story. Kind of what what was the precipice for, for all of this in your life? Yeah. So about four and a half years ago, I was living my dream life. I mean, I really, truly had everything I could have ever hoped for and more. Um, I was married to my husband, Andrew. We were leading a thriving, growing church in Southern California called Inland Hills Church. He was the lead pastor of the church. We had three little boys together, and we were loving ministry. We were loving leading the church. We were young. We had a lot to learn, um, and it was a large congregation, so there really was a lot to learn and a big staff to lead. And then in the fall of 2017 is when things started to shift for our family. Um, My husband started experiencing panic attacks. And after seeing doctors and trying to get to the bottom of those, um, eventually it led to a depression diagnosis, which was very unexpected. I mean, we had been through a lot of hard things um, in those early years of our marriage. He had lost his father, who was the lead pastor of the church. He was trying to take on this big responsibility at a very young age and trying to fill some pretty big shoes. And so I think it all just kind of caught up with him and he just totally burnt out. And so we were in the season of depression and we were doing everything we knew to do to heal my husband, Andrew's mind. He was taking time off work. He was meeting with a psychiatrist. He was taking medication. We were seeing a therapist together for two hours every single week. Um, He'd spent time with mentors. He'd spent time in solitude. We spent time away, just the two of us. Like, you name it, we tried it. We were doing everything we knew to do to heal his mind and heal his body. And by the end of that summer in 2018, the doctors actually thought he was getting better. And Andrew felt like he was getting better. And so they thought the next step would be for him to go back to work. And so Andrew was excited. I mean, he hit the ground running. He gave two powerful weekend messages on the topic of mental health, which at the time wasn't a topic a lot of pastors were talking about. I think that's changed a lot in the last four and a half years, but at the time, not a lot of people were willing to talk about it. And so it was amazing. And people were so receptive and so grateful that he was willing to talk about suicide, that he was willing to talk about depression and anxiety and be so transparent and authentic and sharing his story. And then headed into the third weekend, Andrew had a really bad day at the office. And for any of us, we know what it's like to have a really bad day at work. And his mind was still super fragile. 
he had told our family and told our staff that he was at about 65% and he was hoping to ease back into ministry over time. And um, that day just sent his mind into a tailspin that he wasn't able to recover from. And the following morning, while our family was away from him for just a little bit, literally like calling people, trying to come up with the next action plan, we knew that it was bad. We knew that his mind was much sicker than we thought it was. And so we were on the phone um, trying to find like an inpatient facility, trying to find someone to speak for Sunday, trying to cover all our bases so we could go to him and say, hey, this is what we're going to do. You're going to be okay. And this is what we're going to do to take care of you. And while we were away from him for that little bit of time, um, he attempted suicide and he was rushed to the hospital. They ran a bunch of tests on his body. They had gotten his heart to beat again. Um, but he was gone. And so God gave us the gift of one last day with him to hold him and pray over him, which with suicide is like such a gift to have that time that we had in the hospital with him. Um, and we really got to say goodbye. And so on August 25th, 2018, he took his last breath and mm-hmm. I was my first in this very unexpected life as a young widow. I was 29 years old with three mm-hmm. little boys. That were two, four, and five. Gosh. Oh, Kayla. Well, I can't imagine. I know you have probably said those words many, many times, and yet I still can't imagine that it would be easy to ever breeze by that reality in your life. And I just want to say thank you for sharing it. And I just feel I feel the gravity with you of of the words you just said. And I'm so sorry. Um, I I want to. I'm so excited that we're addressing this because we don't. You're right. We don't talk about this enough because it is rampant. The number of people that tell me they have struggled with suicidal thoughts, I can't believe it. It is everywhere. It is certainly not a rare thing right now. And so, many people listening are probably in that in that storyline themselves, or someone they they love has been there. I want to go back to the reality of suicide, had it been part of the conversation before? Were you afraid of that? Did you live in fear of that? Um, Yeah. So there was one time, one time that Andrew seriously mentioned suicide. Um, It was at the end of the day. We had been in this depression season for months and I was exhausted. I was burnt out. I was not doing a good job of taking care of myself. And so I just want to encourage anybody that's listening, that's a caretaker, that's a caregiver to somebody that's struggling with mental illness. Like it's crucial. It's so important to have time to take care of yourself, to make the one-on-one therapist appointment, to hire the babysitter and go for a walk, to hire the and just go sit in the car. Like I was not doing a good job of doing that. And so I was exhausted. I was depleted. Um, Our therapist had said that I was co-burdening Andrew's depression. So I was carrying his depression with him and just getting a Mm -hmm. taste of what depression was like. And so we're sitting at the kitchen counter. It's at the end of the day. I had just gotten done putting the boys to bed and I was trying to vent to Andrew. And I was just telling him like, this is really hard and I'm having a really hard time. And his response to me was he was venting too. And he was explaining that he was struggling too. And he said he was up in the middle of the night, the night before, and he had all his staff organization charts spread all over the counter. And he thought about killing himself. 
And in that moment, in my exhaustion, in my depletion, in my unhealthy state that I was in, I was unable to respond with a heart of love. And so I totally reacted out of my own emptiness and emotion. Mm-hmm. And I said, all the things you're not supposed to be, you're not supposed to say. So I said, um, that's the most selfish thing you could ever do. I just like totally um, disregarded what he was trying to say to me. Mm. And I think a lot of, I think a lot of us in that situation don't know. Of course. I think that suicide really makes us feel uncomfortable um, and we don't like to hear it. We don't want to accept it. We don't want to believe that it could ever be a part of our reality. And we really, truly, I think, deeply believe that this person that we love isn't capable of ever doing that. And so it's hard to even imagine that ever being possible. And now, you know, it's been four and a half years and I've been doing this work and talking about our story a ton. It's like, now I know that in that moment, it's so important to respond with a heart of love. It's so important to take a deep breath and to lean in and to ask questions, to be present. Questions are so powerful. Questions can change the game. Questions like, do you have a suicide plan? What problem are you trying to solve through suicide? Do you know when or how you would do it? Um, It's time to pick up the phone and call the hotline. I wish I would have just picked up the phone and called the suicide hotline or texted the crisis text line and said, hey, my husband just told me this. Like, what should I do? It's also time to clue in the team of people that you have around you. I should have told the psychiatrist. I should have told the psychologist. I should have told a few of his best friends. Like, suicide isn't something that can stay in the dark. Thoughts of suicide aren't something that can stay in the dark. They have to be brought into the light. And so on the other side of all of it, you know, and all the things I wish I would have said or could have said or would have said, um, yeah, suicide is complicated. And I think we're not usually prepared to have that conversation. And it comes up very unexpectedly like that. And if we're not taking care of ourselves, then we're not going to be, you know, best prepared to handle something like that. I wonder too, just as you've told your story, have you been hearing a lot of other people's story as well over the last few years? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Tons of stories. And a lot of, you know, at the very beginning of this journey, this brand new life, this journey that I've been on the last four and a half years, I was able to see that um, the, the loss of Andrew and what happened to our family it was so much bigger than me. It was so yeah. much bigger than Andrew. And I had people stopping me at the boys at their school, at the school drop-off saying, hey, you know, I was blogging, I was writing, I was being really authentic and transparent with the things that I was learning about suicide. I was willing to say the word suicide. Not a lot of people that lose someone to suicide are even willing to say the word suicide. Um, But I just really felt compelled to share what I was learning. And so I was blogging and I was writing and I had a mom stop me um, just a month, maybe a month into my loss and said, Hey, thank you so much for that blog post you wrote. Because of it, my husband checked himself into rehab this morning. Wow. People messaging me on social media and messaging me, you know, on my email and sending handwritten letters saying your public grief has saved my life. Like I'm because of something that you've written or something that you shared and that I finally reached out for help. And so I was just able to see, you know, I was able to zoom out right away, really, and see like, whoa, 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 this is so much bigger than me. And that God's already at work to redeem this story. Um, He could never restore all that was lost, but he was at work to redeem it. And I just got to play a small part in that redemption. Um, And it's been a really beautiful, 
painful, wonderful, terrible, you know, it's all of it. Um, this process of sharing my story and it's cost me too sure. emotionally um, to tap back into that place. And I, I never want to, yeah. I never want to share my story without emotion. I never want to yeah. share my story and be detached from it. So it's so important to me that it's still raw and real. And like that really happened. That was really yeah. my life. I was really Andrew's wife and that horrible, terrible thing really happened. And all this good has also come from it too. Kayla, were you ever mad at God? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Because it feels almost like a mean story. I'll be honest, because this week we're actually talking about that, that the threads of suffering, God can redeem them and use them in other people's lives, exactly what you're sharing right now. But in the back of my head, even as I'm teaching that, there's this sense of why does it have to be this way? Why does it go this way? Did you ever feel like, I don't want this? I don't, I don't want this story. God, I'm glad you're using it. But like, what's the, what's the underbelly of, of the lovely thing you just said? Yes. It's a wrestling. It's a wrestling with God. It's a constant. Um, God, this, it's like Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane and God's handing him this cup of suffering. And he's like, Hey, I don't want that cup. Like that cup you're about yeah. to hand is overwhelming. God, is there any other way? Is there any other way? And I've had that conversation with God so many times. Like, why did you allow this to happen? Why did you allow um, Andrew's life to be, you know, filtered through your hands? Like, why did you allow this tragedy? Our family had already been through so much. Why did you allow this to happen? And I'm raising these three beautiful, amazing, incredible boys on my own. And it's a lot. Mm. This is not, I would have never signed up for this life. I would have never ever imagine that this would be my life. And I would never have signed up for this life. Even with all the good that's come through our story, I would have never signed up for this. And so it is this constant wrestling. It's this constant surrender. Um, it's been this constant letting go of my clinging. You know, I think so often when something terrible happens, we're, we're clinging so tightly to what was. I was holding so tightly to, to this life that I had that I was proud of. I was mm. so proud to be Andrew Steckline's wife. I was so proud to be a pastor's wife. I was so proud of this life that we were building together. And I've had to let go of my clinging to step into the new thing that God wants to do in this new life. And so it's this wrestling. It's mm. this um, stepping towards and embracing my pain. Um, it's this learning to live with the pain. And that's been the biggest lesson is that the pain doesn't really ever go away. I mean, it's just constant companion. That's always there. And most days it's bearable and sometimes it's totally unbearable. And I call my friends and I'm weeping on the phone or I'm laying on my floor and I'm weeping. And I'm like, God, this is too much. So it's definitely an ebb and flow and a wrestling and um, a learning to walk with the limb. Have you wrestled being mad at Andrew? Um, you know what? No, I really haven't. I think there's there's moments where I just like throw my hands up and like laugh like seriously, you know, I can't believe that I'm like doing this all by myself. Um, but I've since the very beginning, I've been able to have empathy and compassion mm. for him and knowing that he was sick and knowing that depression is a sickness just as deadly as any other sickness, and wow. that his mind Sick, and if he was in a healthy state of mind, that wouldn't have happened. And so I've been able to um, even shift my language and the way that I talk about suicide. I don't say committed suicide anymore. I've learned now on the other side of what's happened that the best way to talk about suicide is to say died by suicide. 
Because that's truly what happened. You know, when we use the word committed and we attach it to phrases like suicide, all it does is keep shame and blame onto the shoulders of the person who died. And so that small shift in language is huge. And it points the finger to the sickness instead of the person. So I've been able to talk about the suicide that way with my kids. My kids know what suicide means. Um, When I share on platforms like this, um, it's been so important for me to talk about that and see suicide in that way and see it not as something that Andrew chose. And I know not everybody can understand that or get that. Um, I love, there was a blog post, a beautiful blog blog post that Ann Boskamp wrote uh, a few years ago. And she talked about how um, those, those feelings of suicidal thoughts can feel like being trapped in a burning building. And the only way to escape the flames is to jump from the window. And so we don't know what that moment's like. Right. That's so good. Attempted suicide, we have no idea what that moment is like. And so all I can do is have empathy and compassion and my heart just breaks for Andrew in that moment. I have no idea what that moment was like for him. And it's just a moment. And that's the thing about suicide. It's like, it's just a moment. I'll never forget Andrew's psychiatrist, um, if they were, you know, his, the team of doctors that were surrounding him were just totally surprised by this. This was not, this was totally unexpected. They thought he was getting better. And so I'll never forget his psychiatrist telling me, trying to comfort me. He said, 90, 90% of suicides are impulsive. 90% of suicides wow. impulsive. And so it really truly is this in the moment, overwhelming flood of pain. And it's a moment that they'll never, will never be able to get back. I just think the, I mean, one reason I knew about your story and so many people knew about your story was that he was preaching about mental health and had had in some ways walked out of it enough to give perspective to so many people that were listening to that. I, I think it felt especially hopeless to people listening going, wait, is there no arrival point? Is there no place where this will be behind me? It looked like, wow, he's a crusader for this, but yet he was still struggling. Was that part of what made it hard? Or do you think God used that? What do, what do, what do you make of all that? Yeah, I mean, that was the headlines. It was, you know, young 30-year-old pastor who preached about mental illness dies by suicide. Um, he's literally on the stage. He gave out the suicide hotline number in a message. Like, wow. out of anybody, he would have known where to go for help. And I think it's just a reminder that pastors are people too. That wow. just yes. Press- they're not invincible. They're not God. They're not closer to God. Like pastors are people too. And pastors um, can get sick just like the rest of us can get sick. And Andrew's mind was sick and it wasn't his fault. And he just so happened to be talking about mental illness and mental health. And, um, you know, he should have known where to go for help and we should have known where to go for help, but that's not what happened. And so I think um, God's been able to use that for good, even that part of it in the way that our story did spread and the way that God just opened, just flung open all these doors for me to be able to share our story and to be able to talk about suicide and mental health in a lot of ministry spaces. Um, And it's been such a gift to be a part of that conversation and a part of opening up that conversation in the church and bridging the gap between mental health and ministry. And I really truly believe that God's been doing that the last four and a half years. And it's been really beautiful to be a part of that. And now you get to watch that even spread further. You just are releasing a book called Rebuilding Beautiful, Welcome What Is, Dare to Dream Again, and Step Bravely into What Could Be. Talk a little bit about that process. That had to 
be really difficult. As a writer, I know like digging everything up, it's almost like you relive it again and trying to give it away. Yeah. So it was my second book. I've written a few books in the last four years. The first book uh, was Fear Gone Wild and it was our story, um, this whole story of what happened. And I wrote that during the first year of grief. So I think think that one was the hard one where I was sitting and crying. And I'm so grateful that I wrote it when I did, because it'd be a completely different book if I read it now. So the second book, um, you know, was so beautiful and so different um, than the first book. Every chapter is a standalone chapter. I broke it down into these five processes that have been helpful for me in my healing journey and stepping Mm. towards my pain and letting go of what was and welcoming what is and really, truly daring to dream again. And um, the five processes that I broke it down into are embrace, heal, explore, dream, and live. And there's little, um, short little chapters in each part. And I've just have shared my story and what I've learned in the last four years. And what does it look like to step towards and embrace our pain? What does it look like to let go of the victim mentality? I mean, it would be so easy to stay camped out in this victim mentality I describe it in the book as being camped out in the cemetery. Um, I physically had to move in order to leave the cemetery. I was living um, just a few miles from the church that we led. And everywhere I went, I was reminded of a life that was no longer mine. I couldn't even Mm. go to the store without passing the physical cemetery where Andrew was laid to rest. And so I knew I had to go and I packed up, we packed up our life and we moved just an hour south towards the ocean. And it's been really beautiful and super empowering um, to see what God's done in that move and that fresh start to truly have a fresh. And it's been really empowering. I mean, it's inspired me to try things I would have never tried before. And I think that's part of the rebuilding beautiful process too, is being willing to show up and try new things, being willing to sit and look at the shrapnel of our life and say, God, what are the dreams? Even though like it's really ugly right now and all my dreams are all shattered, what are the new dreams that you're planting right here in this new life? And what is the vision you have for my life for the next five, 10 or 15 years? And when, how, I'm get, how am I gonna get there? What are the steps I need to take to get there? And it's been so empowering. I mean, I... Um, would have never thought I would write one book. And by the grace of God, I've written two. I would have never thought I'd be raising three boys on my own. By the grace of God, I have for the last four and a half years. I would have never thought I could remodel a house by myself. I talk about that in the book too. Just I, I bought all these power tools. I watched some YouTube videos. I ripped out some walls and ripped Girl. out some tires. And me and my boys have been having like so much That's fun. amazing. Literally rebuilding our house. And it's just yeah. been such um, a parallel, you know, to what we're doing on the inside too and rebuilding our life and rebuilding our dreams and rebuilding our future um, to physically be rebuilding something at the same time to be sitting on the ground and staring at the shrapnel, like literally just like two by fours and nails and, you know, plywood and stuff everywhere and seeing like this, this process is really ugly and it's really messy and it's not very beautiful to begin with. But when you, when you show up, when you work hard, when you try again and again and again, eventually you're able to stand in a place and you're able to see like, wow, this is beautiful too. And um, that's the hope of that book is that it would inspire and encourage people that there is another version of beautiful. It's going to be completely different. It's never going to look like it did before. My life is never going to be the same beautiful yeah. 
was before, but beauty is still possible even here. And we just have to show up willing to try. We have to show up and invite God into the messy uh, ground zero level process of it with us and ask him to show us and ask him to open those doors and then just trust and surrender every step of the way. So grateful. And I know there are people out there that are listening right now and they need hope and they need help. And the suicide hotline is very simple. It is just 988. If that is you or if it is someone you love that you're worried about, call it. Do not hesitate to call it. We are going to have resources below. I just want you to not feel alone. And I'm so grateful, Kayla, for even how you share this story. Like this was incredible because all of us are going to rub shoulders with one degree of separation from this. We, we And sadly, we're not going to get far away from this in this generation. And I'm so grateful for you telling your story. So thank you so much. Prayers as, as y'all rebuild your life. I'm so, you know, grateful those boys have you. I know it's not the life you planned, but gosh, it's just incredible to hear. So thank you. Thank you, Jenny. Thanks for having me. We want to thank Kayla for this important conversation. If you or someone you know is thinking about suicide or needs emotional support in any way, reach out to a trained crisis worker at the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline Network by dialing 988. The Lifeline is available 24-7 across the United States and is free and confidential. Talking with someone about your thoughts and feelings can save your life. We are going to put the link to Kayla's website and her two books, Fear Gone Wild and Rebuilding Beautiful, in the show notes so you guys can check them out. So glad you were here today for this important conversation. We'll see you next time for another episode of the Made for This podcast. Podcast.